842, Book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It's a long one. <laughs> now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they can come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. <clears throat> and he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your words that we've just heard read. And through my preaching and through our worship of you, Lord, that you would root your truth deep into our hearts this day. Fill us, Lord, with your wisdom and knowledge and truth. We ask all this in the name of our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you know, since um, the beginning of the season, what we call Lent, uh, we're in about week three of that. This is a time where the church has uh, traditionally uh, sort of looked at our sinfulness, at our need for a savior, at the reality of our hearts and of our lives. 
So when we come into these glorious days of Good Friday and Easter, where we remember not uh, certainly Christ's death for our sins, but his rising to new life, we have a deep sense of gratitude and joy on that day. And so what we've decided to, to do is during this season of Lent is try to cover the Ten Commandments in five Sundays. So um, being the great leader that I am, I gave the really hard part of that last week over to uh, Rob. As Rob essentially covered four in a one go as we looked at what it meant that God's a jealous God for us. And how we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And why? Because he loves us in that way. But today we shift, if you will, as we look at the fifth commandment, which we read earlier, um, which is to honor your father and mother. And now we're shifting, if you will, to what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if you remember what I said a few weeks ago is uh, one of the questions that I want us to answer. And I think because it's a question that we all have is as a Christian, how do we use these commandments? We know we don't use them, that by obedience we save ourselves, right? But yet, what does that mean? What role do these Ten Commandments have in our lives now? Well, there are, there are three ways. Um, the first way is probably the most obvious. Once again, this is by way of, um, of a review. But uh, the most obvious is just that this is the way the world works best, right? This is the way we should live. Uh, it is right and good. And I don't need to sit here and list the, the innumerable benefits to the world if every child was even a, a, a children of bad parents was to honor their father and mother throughout their entire lives. Not just as, as uh, children through obedience, um, but also as they get older with companionship, support, encouragement. But of course, that's not the only thing. What I think what's shocking was certainly the most shocking to our life group when we looked at this this past Sunday was as we read through this, we focused specifically on how the uh, Pharisees weren't um, loving their father and, and uh, mother. We'll dive into that in a, just a, a second. Um, what was shocking was that the primary goal of why Jesus is teaching this is not to teach us how to do that. The primary goal is to convict us of our sins. The primary reason, not the only reason, but the primary reason why the Lord gave us these ten commandments would be so that we would destroy any illusion that we might have created in our own minds that we're good people, that we don't need him, that we're keeping this. And as we see, that's an incredible gift of love, humbling but an incredibly gift, great gift of his love for us. So let's let's uh, dive in into our scriptures and, and sort of, you know, where do I get this from? Well, this is exactly what Jesus is doing here in our in our reading in, in, in Mark 7. And once again, you should have a Bible close by. Um, if so, grab it, share it. It's on it's I'm starting on page eight, 842. But what we have here, let me give you some uh, context. What we have is uh, Jesus has been sort of in a in a uh, sparring match, not with fists, but with uh, with the uh, truth of, of the scriptures, with the group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you don't know, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees they were the, the they were the religious authorities 
They were, they prided themselves on their knowledge of God's word. And they likewise prided themselves on their obedience to it. But what had happened was, and as we see here, uh, what the problem is, is that they're, they're sparring with, with Jesus right now because he's doing something which they think is totally re repugnant that anybody who um, claims to be a rabbi and a prophet of God would certainly do. And that's wash their hands before every single meal. Because that's what makes you clean. Because, you see, there was a great fear that if you took what was unclean from the world and brought it into yourself, that that would make you unclean. What came from the outside would corrupt what was, and basically, what was basically good and clean and holy on its own. And here Jesus went, and the Jews had taught each other to do this for, for, a, for a few centuries now. And here comes this long-haired <coughs> rebel Jesus. If you ever want um, a really good picture, kind of how the Pharisees viewed Jesus, there's only one theologian who gets this right. Willie Nelson. <laughs> I encourage you all, if you hear anything, put this in your phones. Listen to Willie Nelson's The uh, Troublemaker on your way home, and then you'll get a view of how the Pharisees viewed our Savior. The one that comes in and just breaks all the rules. He's a troublemaker. And they're hammering Jesus for not washing his hands as he, as he comes and, and, and as he eats like all good Jews do. If you really love God, you do these things. But what does Jesus say? He says, did Isaiah not prophesy of you hypocrites as he's written? These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of, of men. And he says, you lead the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. What's he talking about? Well, if you read this closely, if you listen closely, what you realize is that what they're commanding Jesus to do, saying that his very salvation was at stake, was not to follow God's law. Nowhere in the Old Testament are you going to find this rule to wash your hands before every meal. This is something that the Jewish religious leaders have made up. Now, if we're to be fair, I think that they were well-intentioned. They really wanted to sort of keep these different food uh, purity laws, and they wanted to sort of create some, some, uh, some uh, stop gaps and some uh, protections. But you see, the reason why Jesus has a problem with this, okay, because what's wrong with just washing your hands? Jesus, why don't you just be a team player? Just jump in. Well, what Jesus is pointing out and is helping these people that think that they know what the scriptures mean, but really have no idea, is that they understand the law. They understand all these tr traditions as ways that by using their own willpower, they can keep themselves clean and get rid of their own sin. When in fact, as Jesus is getting ready to show them, they are actually missing the point. The point is to show us that we are sinful, that we are dirty. And it's only by God coming in from the outside that we can truly be made clean. <clears throat> and you see, what these Pharisees have done is they have actually not made 
more of sin, they've made less of sin. What they're essentially saying is that our sinful hearts, the depth of sin, you see, they don't take sin seriously because they think that they can just simply get rid of it by creating a man-made rule and washing their hands. All of the immorality, that not just that, that, that these Pharisees have done, but that they thought, all of their anger, all of their arrogance, all of their envy, I can get rid of that if I just wash my hands. And you see, when, when a Jesus sees this, his heart breaks for them. If there's any anger here, it's anger because it is only by these Pharisees and the rest of us acknowledging that that's not nearly enough. That we're way too dirty. That we're way too sinful. That we're way too broken. To simply cleanse ourselves by little man-made rituals. Now, what does all this have to do with honoring your father and mother? Great question. I'm going to move on, right? Because what Jesus does to highlight this reality and this practice is he points towards the fifth commandment. What does he say? He says, um, and he said to, to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tr tradition. For uh, Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you said, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever I would have gained, what, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, if you will, a gift to the temple, okay? Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making the word of God by your own tra tradition that you've handed down. What's What's happening here? Well, I hope that in your brief re reflection over why uh, life works better when we honor our father and uh, mother, um, whatever things that came up in your mind of what that looks like, maybe it's financial su support, maybe it's emotional support, uh, maybe it's just company, whatever it might be, all the needs of their heart, right? Probably the last thing in your mind that said, you know what? The best way that I can honor my father and mother really showed them the gratitude that I have for all the grace and sustenance and support and love that they've ever given me. The best way that I can show them that is to give the church money. Now, let me say that I benefit from you giving the, the church money. So this must be true. If I'm telling you, don't give the church money to honor your father and mother, it must be true, right? But you see, what they've done is they've missed the whole point. They have created an alternate way to keep God's law, to make themselves holy. And if we're honest, and I've got great parents, great dad. Talk about my mom in just a minute. I've got great parents, so for me, honoring them is something that I want to do. But there are those of us that don't have good parents. But yet we're still called to honor them, still called to love them, still called to support them. And if we're honest, which one's easier? To call them, to deal with them. Sometimes I've, I've heard this for, for us, some of us, as our parents get older, the relationship changes, right? You end up being the parent, and the parent ends up being the child. And that's taxing, and that's exhausting. 
That's costly. But which one's easier? To just give the church money and check that box? Or to love them even at their worst? Well, of course, we all know the answer is what's easier is just to give the church money and check that box and move on. God, they're your problem. You deal with them. But they've missed the whole point. They've missed the whole point. And then Jesus goes on and he opens this up even more. And he says, you know what? The sin problem that we have isn't from the outside. It's from right here. So every single one of us are born selfish. Listen to what, to what Jesus says. There's nothing outside a person that's, that's going to defile him to make us sinful. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. You see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot de defile him. <clears throat> Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, it is expelled. And then he said, what comes out of a, of a person's heart is what defiles him. For what comes out of him, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And then he lists them all. When we hear, when I hear this command to honor your father and mother. My first instinct is to be like the Pharisees. Say, well, I'm doing that. I'm fine. I'm, I've got that check. I'm, you know, I'm kind of leaving them alone. You know, I'm not bothering them. I'm not pestering them. I'm checking in with them now and then. But then I hear Jesus here. And actually, if I'm to be honest, when I think about this commandment, I'm convicted. I have a lot of regrets. Why? Because two years ago, my mother died um, somewhat suddenly. And what it brought up very quickly was all of the wasted opportunities to love her, to write her cards, to write her notes, to just call to see how she was doing. All the times that I could have gone out to, to see her and visit her, but in reality, I just had better things to do. Like sit at home. And you see, what Jesus is telling the, the Pharisees, he's telling me. And he's convicting me that no matter how hard I believe that I have tried to keep this commandment, my heart is just too fragile. My heart is just too selfish. My heart is just um, so in love with myself. As we were going through this in our life group, someone rightly said, well, I don't want to be this way. How do I get a heart like that that just doesn't do this anymore? And you see, that's where the good news of the gospel comes in for us. Why does Jesus work so hard to convict the Pharisees of their sins and the source of their sin? Which means why is he working so hard to convict us? And that's because he's driving us to the end of ourselves. He's taking one area where, where we might take pride and say, well, at least I'm doing this one. And showing us, you know what? You're really not. But I've got beautiful news for you, Jesus Christ says. 
Not only on the cross did I die for this sin, for your perpetual failure to honor your father and, and, and mother, but I fulfilled it for you. One of the most curious passages in the whole of the New Testament is this really fascinating place. And at the end of, of, of a John's gospel, you can turn there if you want to. It's on page 9 and 5, John 19. Um, but if you start at verse 23, what we have is Jesus on the cross. And, it, and he says this, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. And then this was, was, was to fulfill, skipping down here to uh, verse, um, verse uh, 25. Um, or, or, so, so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of, of, uh, of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who he loved, that's the apostle John. John's pretty confident in how Jesus feels about it. Um, and the disciple whom he, he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. He's pointing to, to John. Then he said to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. What is that? Why there? All the things. But what we have here is this amazing picture of Jesus not just loving his mother, but loving us. You see, in order for our Heavenly Father to be satisfied with Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the, the Ten Commandments had to be kept perfectly by one man. And here we have Jesus who doesn't take this leap of um, imagination. He's literally hanging on the cross almost to the end of his life, almost absolutely spent, suffocating as his lungs get ripped apart. If there's ever a time to be selfish, it's at that moment. But what does our Savior do? He honors his mother by, by providing for her after he has left this earth. That's good news. Not just by way of example, but because he has fulfilled this commandment for us, God is satisfied. And now we have a new relationship with this commandment. So he teaches us that we should repent and that we will always fail, but his salvation is, is grander. Third point. But of course, a Christian not only thinks that or, or abuse the law is simply convicting us, it also teaches us what it means to love, right? And we get an example of this here, but I want to end with this story. Some, some of you heard it, but I want to, uh, to uh, tell it again. It's about a man named Squeaky Alessandro. I'm sure Squeaky has a real first name, right? But he's Southern, and we like nicknames. So his nickname, for whatever reason, is Squeaky. But, uh, but a squeaky Alessandro grew up in Sumter. I was his pastor. And uh, his father was atrocious. His mother is simply uh, was, was an, an alcoholic. She had pulled out of the relationship emotionally. And his father was abusive. And at 16, he said, that's it. I've had enough. 
crawled out the upstairs window and left home forever. For the next 25 years, he never spoke with his father. Not one time. And then Jesus got a hold of him. For the first time this week, he's like, he felt overwhelmed by the forgiving love of uh, Christ. And one of the first truths that the Holy Spirit poured into his heart as he felt what, what, what blew Squeaky away was that he had listed uh, in his heart and his mind as sort of a, a flash in time the number of sins that he committed against his heavenly father and, and against Jesus Christ and against the Holy Spirit. And then he felt that they were all forgiven and all taken away, never to come back and haunt him again. It was the first time where he ever felt love that he did not deserve. And his mind immediately went to his father. And in a moment, sometimes this happens, but in a moment, his heart was switched from absolute hatred of his father to absolute love. And he drove up. The first thing he did when he got back from where he became a Christian as he drove to his father's house, same house he, he grew up in, knocked on the door. His father opened it, slammed it, and said, get the hell out of here. Squeaky simply said, Dad, I love you, and I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Father opened the, the door, shocked. He said, Dad, I have not honored you like I should have. You are my father. You deserve love and respect and, and companionship. And I have not honored you. Do you forgive me? Hell no. Slam the door again. So squeaky does what, what I wish I would do one day. He goes back the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day until his father invites him in and he tells his story and the father says I don't believe any of that but for the next few weeks, months turning into years he would visit his father once a week sometimes just sit with him bring him food bring him companionship when his father got too old he put him up in the best nursing home in town when his father was uh, dying, he sat beside him every day at his bedside. He did share the gospel with him. I'd like to tell you that I can affirm that, that he accepted it. I don't know. Squeaky doesn't know. But when I ask Squeaky, once again, if I could tell this, this story, um, I have to ask, I said, Squeaky, how in the world could you love someone who loved you or, or who hated you? And he said, because that's how my Savior loves me. That's how my Heavenly Father loved me. And I wanted to show my Father that same love because he loved me while I was at my worst. Honor your father and mother. Shows us how life works best. We fail and we fail and we fail. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for that. And so if you are here today with that burden, maybe from this, this commandment or any of them that we read out, know that simply by trusting in Jesus Christ, 
your failure, like my failure, has been washed away. And you'll be his forever. It will not come back to haunt you. And for those of us who are in Christ, let's look at how Christ took care of his mother, who was an amazing mother, and how squeaky took care of his father, who was a horrible father. For the only way to have a heart that loves others first is to realize that Christ loved us first. It's only there that we can truly be transformed and be loving sinners. And this is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.